Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965 KPL. Joe Cunningham here with you this chilly afternoon. Once again, seeing another cold front sweep through, and it's only going to get colder. Hey, by the way, it's Thursday night, so if you have uh, any kids who play middle school basketball, tonight is game night for you. I'm actually going to go uh, watch my own school's athletes play. They've got a good one. And uh, soccer playoffs continue as well. So if you've got a kid who plays high school soccer and they're still in the playoffs uh, tonight and tomorrow night and maybe uh, on Saturday there will be some games around the area. I know of one tomorrow night that I'm going to as well. So be sure that if you have student-athletes playing or you really support your schools, go out and support our student-athletes even during this very, very chilly weather. So I have to tell y'all, yesterday, the Jeff Zucker News broke. Jeff Zucker leaving CNN. It was discovered he had a relationship with a subordinate, Allison Gollist, uh, who is a former aide to Andrew Cuomo. So it's funny just how big the blast radius of the Chris Cuomo uh, scandal at CNN actually is turning out to be. This morning, my first thought was based on everything that we've seen so far, you're going to see a lot of stories coming out from insiders. Various stories that are written with anonymous CNN insiders feeding the scoop to whatever outlet wants to run it. In fact, yesterday, the Daily Mail ran a piece. CNN insiders calling for the firing of Brian Stelter the chief media correspondent of CNN, because he had to have known. He's the media reporter, and this is the biggest story in media, and he acted blindsided by it. He had to know. He's been carrying water for Zucker for years. A little while ago, at Rolling Stone, CNN probe eyes Jeff Zucker's ties to Andrew Cuomo. This coming from anonymous sources, but here's the thing. The timeline on Jeff Zucker and Allison Gallus's coupledom is not only off by more than two decades, say sources who have worked with the pair. The CNN power couple also repeatedly lied about their relationship to their corporate bosses. This from Rolling Stone. According to CNN President Zucker's February 2nd resignation memo to staff, the romantic relationship, which marked a flagrant violation of corporate policy given that Gallus, the network's top communication executive, was a direct report to Zucker for most of her nine-year ten tenure there, began sometime in the past two years. Skip down a little bit. But sources who worked closely with Zucker and Gallist, uh, dating back to their days at the Today Show in the mid-90s, dispute the statements in the memo. In reality, these sources tell Rolling Stone, Zucker became romantically entangled with Gallist back in 1996 when she was a trainee at NBC's corporate communications group and he was the married executive producer of the Today Show. Quote, it was the worst kept secret, but Jeff was seen as untouchable. And their statements in the memo are total BS. Let me just not get in trouble on the air here. I'm just going to say BS, but the Rolling Stone article gives the, the word in full. So I have several thoughts with this. First of all, you're going to continue to see multiple stories come out from CNN Insiders. Another story came out earlier today. 
a meeting with a with a top exec at, at CNN got tense as various on-air staff pressed questions as to why Zucker was fired. They don't buy the illicit relationship thing. They think there's something more. The other thought I have is that these stories always end up being an open secret, don't they? CNN's chief media correspondent, Brian Stelter, mentioned when the f- news first broke yesterday that the CNN family was stunned at the firing. He would write in his media column that the firing was over a, quote, consensual relationship with a key lieutenant. Again, a violation of CNN corporate standards because there is an, impa- a, a balance, uh, an imbalance of power with a subordinate uh, and her direct supervisor being in a relationship. The power imbalance can be a corrupting factor. The relationship itself wasn't a surprise to anyone except the outside group investigating the Chris Cuomo matter, apparently. You know what else was an open secret in the media? The horrifying details of Matt Lauer's sexual antics at NBC, which, by the way, apparently began or were going on when Zucker was at NBC and when Gallus was at NBC. I wonder if there's a connection. At the roast of Matt Lauer, Zucker made jokes about it. You know what else was an open secret? Bill Cosby. It took comedian Hannibal Burris going off on Cosby's behavior in a viral stand-up routine to get dozens of women to come forward and make public what everyone in the entertainment world apparently knew. Most Americans knew nothing of it. That was still America's dad. And every other American was was legitimately shocked. But Hollywood apparently knew about it all along. Harvey Weinstein's unconscionable behavior continued as people who benefited from his influence looked the other way or stayed quiet about what he was doing to women. It took a single journalist to finally convince women to come forward to take the most powerful man in Hollywood down. We will never know the full extent of just how many people knew what Harvey Weinstein was up to. Because even now he remains a powerful and influential figure. In the entertainment and media world, it's always an open secret. It seems like it's never a genuine shock that some of these people are morally bankrupt, corrupt, or even monsters. Rarely do we see a story come out that causes genuine shock to the people closest to the stories. If Zucker's relationship was such an open secret, why wasn't it reported by the media reporters all throughout the Hollywood, uh, the media industry who report these sorts of things. Stelter himself made a big deal about Sean Hannity getting into a relationship with another Fox News host after his divorce. But Stelter didn't think that CNN's president, who had, uh, was in a direct relationship with his subordinate, who was a former aide to Andrew Cuomo, who helped encourage Andrew Cuomo to come on his little brother's show, that wasn't a media story? Media reporting, in general, is awful. But these open secrets continue to plague the morally corrupt media and entertainment elite in our country. 
232-1542. We are going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more on this and just kind of some of the fallout in the media world and what's going to continue to happen here. Also, things are looking grim for CNN as legal action appears to be getting involved. So we'll have all that and more coming up here on the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965 KPL. Join in the conversation, 232-1542. You can also uh, join in the conversation online at Joe P. Cunningham on Twitter. Find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. And you can check out the podcast version of the show for anything that you might miss. I've said a lot of things about Jeff Zucker. I believe he is the most toxic man in media. I believe that nobody has done more damage to the credibility of that network than Jeff Zucker. Essentially by hiring the people who have done a lot of damaging damage to the credibility of CNN. But I digress. However, not every decision that Jeff Zucker made was bad. On Twitter... I should explain that in 2015, the day ESPN announced my show there was ending, Zucker asked for a meeting, secret of course, to offer me an hour in primetime on CNN and brainstorm how to not make it look like Countdown. Four days later, he reneged. That's Keith Olbermann. So apparently, Zucker was interested in Keith Olbermann coming to CNN, but then decided not. Possibly the best decision that Zucker has ever made. So congratulations, Jeff Zucker. You're not 100% terrible. As Olbermann might say, you are not the worst person in the world. I have to get back to this Rolling Stone article. All right, this this is mind-boggling. These two, Gallist and Zucker, have apparently been in a relationship since the mid-90s. Over the past three decades, this according to Rolling Stone, the Zucker-Gallus relationship was no secret inside the newsrooms of NBC or CNN. Within a year of Zucker and Gallus commencing their affair, multiple sources say Gallus leapfrogged from trainee to the role of senior publicist for today, and Zucker became her boss, a paradigm that continued for years to come with only two brief interruptions. Y'all, that seems shady. And not just because of the, the whole, like, corporate structure thing. It seems really really weird to be entering into a relationship and constantly making sure that your your girlfriend, the, the person that you're cheating on your wife with, by the way, is constantly your subordinate. That there, There's something a bit deeper in the psychology there that I'm not sure I have the, the, the energy to deal with at this point. Through a series of promotions... Her purview expanded, and she added oversight duties for MS, uh, NBC News, MSNBC, CNBC, and the Weather Channel, as well as NBC Nightly News, Dateline, and Meet the Press. In 2000, Zucker became president of NBC Entertainment and quickly pulled off a series of splashy deals, including signing Donald Trump to host The Apprentice and Joe Rogan to host Fear Factor. He ascended the corporate ladder and in 2006 became president and CEO of NBC Universal. One year later, he moved into an ultra-expensive Upper East Side co-op with views of Central Park. According to public records, Gallus moved into the same building with her then-husband and children a year later. This relationship, one, apparently is really toxic, but two, has been going on for a while. And again, everybody knew about it. 
which does give you pretty good reason to suspect that this firing was not totally about the relationship. The relationship being there and finally being caught by somebody outside of the the management that knew about it and all the people that knew about it, this relationship being caught appears to have given them the reason to give Zucker the boot. And I've heard a couple whispers now, kind of peering at social media and, and, and listening behind the scenes, that Gallus' job is not secure because of this. But it's not the relationship. The severe journalistic integrity issues that come into play where Chris Cuomo and his behavior were consumed, were concerned, those go back to Zucker and Gallist. I think it was um, Eric Wimple at the Washington Post detailing this on Twitter. Those two were responsible for helping Cuomo, Chris Cuomo, get his older brother, the governor of New York at the time, Andrew Cuomo, onto his show. And everybody loved it. They thought it was a great segment. It was a great bit. People love that little back and forth between brothers, little sibling, you know, back and forth and all that. And Zucker, who's an entertainment guy, wanted more. And so they started talking to Andrew Cuomo's people. And Andrew Cuomo's people, in a, a moment of lucid morality, said, I don't know that we want him back on. Really, they didn't want him back on the air at all. But even on his brother's show, they're like, I'm not sure about this. So rare moment of somewhat moral lucidity from Andrew Cuomo's team. So Gallist, with her connections to Cuomo, appealed to him directly and talked him into coming on his brother's show. And it became a regular thing. And people ate it up. The ratings for it were great. It was a great bit of entertainment because both of these people are entertainment people. They were focused on drawing ratings. They were not focused on developing the news. Now, CNN has always had a leftward bent. Even the folks over there who are, you know, generally good reporters and good anchors do have an admittedly leftward bent. But it's gotten so bad. The faces of that network were Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo. Cuomo got involved with his brother's investigation, actually used his news sources and connections to try to dig up dirt on the women who were making the sexual harassment and assault claims against his brother. Lemon, by the way, got himself involved with the Jesse Smollett case by offering to, uh, by, by basically contacting his law enforcement sources and then sending a text to Jesse Smollett saying, hey, the cops don't believe you. Lemon got involved as well. Another ethical lapse. And with all of these ethical lapses going on, then you have a guy at CNN like Brian Stelter, whose show, the, the ratings are non-existent. I think it was maybe last summer or the summer before, Stelter took a week off from his show, Reliable Sources on Sunday. He took one Sunday off, and the ratings were higher when he wasn't there. Stelter ran cover for years for Zucker. He apparently knew, just like everybody else, about this relationship 
And he ran cover for them on the relationship. He ran cover for Zucker and his decisions at CNN. And he ran cover for Chris Cuomo. Did not talk about it at all. Is the biggest story in the media. Journalists know better. You don't interview family. You don't make them a big part of what you're reporting. You avoid it like the plague because it is a conflict of interest. And he did it anyway. And Stelter said not a word. What CNN should do right now as these as the restructures, the corporate restructuring is going on there, pull CNN's domestic lineup off the air. Run CNN International for a month, two months, whatever, until things can get settled down and the new management can get a hold of things. CNN International is way better content, by the way. Focus on the hard news stuff. Focus on being less opinionated, less less in your face about it and preachy about it and just go with the reporting. Not that you're really going to see that, you know. It's not going to happen. They need it to happen. I guarantee if they did it, the ratings would go up. But right now, it's not about the ratings. Everybody who is a part of the on-air staff at CNN is furious today. And they were furious yesterday about the Zucker firing. It was essentially a cult. They are furious. They love the camaraderie. They love the, the feeling in the newsroom in the corporate headquarters. They loved uh, this, you know, what Zucker was bringing to the table. And they're ignoring completely the fact that their ratings are in the toilet. No one trusts CNN. And it's only going to continue to get worse if they stay on the path that they're on. It's the path that Zucker put them on. You can say that CNN was on its way downhill, and I'm not going to disagree with you. But when Zucker took over and one of his first moves was to bring Chris Cuomo aboard, bring him from ABC over to CNN, that was it. He gave Cuomo a ton of extra power and a ton of free reign and look what he did with it. He corrupted CNN's newsroom. He corrupted his own primetime show. And he corrupted the journalistic, the journalistic ethics and standards of the entire network. All to protect his older scandal-ridden brother. 232-1542. We are going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about what's coming, going on here in the state with redistricting and much more. Here on the Joe Cunningham Show on News Talk 965 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965 KPL 232-1542 if you want to join in the conversation. However, I must read to you the quote of the day. I'm going to try to do so without laughing. I cannot guarantee that's a possibility, but I'm going to try because I am a professional. Until 1980, see I'm already laughing. Until 1981, this powerful body, the Supreme Court, was all white men. Until 1981, this powerful body, the Supreme Court, was all white men. Imagine, America wasn't all white men in 1981 or ever. Under President Biden and this Senate majority, we're taking historic steps to make the courts look more like the country they serve. Again, 
until 1981. This powerful body of the Supreme Court was all white men. That is Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, who apparently has just whitewashed Thurgood Marshall out of history. Thurgood Marshall, African-American Associate Justice of the Supreme Court, nominated and confirmed in the 60s. Chuck Schumer later had to apologize for that statement. You know, this, this Supreme Court pick, Biden... Biden stepped in it early on, and the Biden administration has stepped in it early on. It's okay to say that, to, to, to privately think, you know what, I'm going to pick an African-American woman. No matter what, I'm going to pick an African-American woman to be the next associate justice of the Supreme Court to take Stephen Breyer's spot, or whoever's spot. Everybody knew it was going to be Breyer. It's another thing to say that publicly and let all of America know that you are limiting yourself to a very small number of potential candidates. And you know what? There are candidates out there who are more qualified than the names that are being put forward by the Biden administration, by folks who have talked to the Biden administration. There are women of color who are more qualified. There are men of color who are more qualified. And I'm sorry, but you have limited yourself, President Biden. You have limited the scope of progressive jurisprudence by not taking all qualified candidates into consideration. Now, again, if privately you think, you know what, I'm going to have this list, list is going to go out publicly, but this is what I'm going to do. That's fine. But when you make it a public statement, and he did this during his campaign, so it was his campaign staff that advised him to say this, and he stuck with it, and his administration is sticking with it. They have to now. But it's all a part of appeasing that very woke, very social justice crowd. That's not to take away from the names that are out there. Not at all. If he wants to pick one of them to get where they are, to be able to be in the position to be nominated to the Supreme Court, yes, it's an extraordinary feat. And these are talented and smart women that he's putting forward. But you've limited your talent pool. It's one of the... It's one of the issues with affirmative action, really, that, that so many people kind of take issue with. You are automatically saying you're not considering all the best possible candidates when you make that your public policy. And it is a dangerous ground to walk on. You are potentially shooting yourself in the foot if you are not taking all of those things into consideration. It's a very fine line to walk. If you have two people with equal qualifications, one being a minority, the other not, then it's a good idea to look at that. But if you have a list of qualified candidates and you have one or two or three or five more that are ahead of that one particular minority segment you're looking for, in this case, the two, the female and black, you are potentially hurting the cause of your business, government body, whatever. 
And it's kind of an own goal. You don't need to do that, but that's what's happening. And then you get Chuck Schumer saying something ridiculous, like until 1981, the Supreme Court was all white men, which is decidedly not the case. 232-1542, if you want to join in the conversation there. On the subject of the Senate and the Supreme Court, a lot of media speculations, oh, the Republicans are going to stand, you know, afford this and all that. Y'all realize that the Republicans can't, right? They can't actually do anything. They can't filibuster it. Mitch McConnell already got rid of the filibuster for Supreme Court nominees. The Republicans are also not going to sit there and try to stage some sort of voting blockade against this candidate. No, the Republicans will have, you know, a, a dozen or more that join with the Democrats. There's no reason to fight this battle. They know that. They're still going to have the majority on the Supreme Court. There's no reason to give the Democrats the cheap talking point. Oh, the Republicans are racist. They oppose they're sexist and racist. They oppose this black woman coming onto the Supreme Court. No. They'll end up jumping right in. They'll confirm. No reason not to. And it's going to drive the media crazy. They're going to go out and they're going to look for for they're, they're going to look for people in red hats who are upset, livid with the Republicans for going along with this dangerous and progressive lunatic. No. The Republicans realize this is not ground you have to fight on. This is a battle you let slide by. Because here's the thing that a lot of people don't realize. If you paid attention to the Senate, you know this. Nobody, no Republican in the Senate actually votes against the Republican Party without Mitch McConnell's consent. When Mitch McConnell said, you know what, vote your conscience on the second impeachment deal, Mitch McConnell was saying, this is not ground that we're going to fight on. You do what you think is right. You do what you think is best for your reelection efforts. I'm leaving it to you. When a controversial Trump bill or controversial Trump appointment came forward, McConnell counted his votes. McConnell is constantly whipping his votes. He's constantly polling his members to see what they've got. And if they can afford it, they'll let a Susan Collins or Lisa Murkowski or, or, or Mitt Romney you know, vote against the party. Every Republican knows that Mitch McConnell is the guy you go to because he's going to cut the deal. If McConnell sees a lost cause, yeah, do vote your conscience. Vote what you need to do in order to win your reelection and keep your seat in Republican hands. It infuriates a lot of conservatives because McConnell's decisions on these matters are not always going to be perfectly lined up with what conservatives actually want. And to be fair, McConnell has done a lot, in, in, in particularly during the Obama years, McConnell did a lot to hamper conservatives' abilities to win battles because conservatives wanted to challenge his more routine members. And McConnell was doing what he could to protect his, his membership in the Senate. And I have routinely called, and I will still call, McConnell one of the greatest supervillains to the conservative party. He's the call coming from within the House. But 
McConnell is smart. There is no one in the Senate who is more knowledgeable on Senate procedure and how to work the Senate to his benefit than Mitch McConnell. And even the most conservative senators know that if there's a controversial vote coming up and they, for partisan reasons, they, for ideological reasons, don't agree with it, they go to to McConnell. And if McConnell says, you know what, that's fine. You do what you got to do, but I'm going to need something from you later. And they know that, and they cut those deals. McConnell is not somebody who is just going to let votes be cast off that endanger the Republican numbers in the Senate. And he will go down. So Harry Reid will go down. You know, the, the late Harry Reid will go down as one of the most influential majority leaders of the Senate. But more famous, more influential, more powerful will be throughout history, Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell held firm. He played his cards the way he wanted to. He got the Senate majority. He got a Republican president. And what did he do? The Federalist Society gave him a list. And the, the Federalist Society and McConnell gave that list to Donald Trump. And McConnell did everything in his power to put conservative judges on the bench all over the country. So say what you want about Mitch McConnell and his treatment of conservatives in years past. But the judicial system has been extremely reshaped because of Mitch McConnell's efforts in the Senate and the way that he held power and held sway in the Senate. Love him or hate him, you've got to respect that. I'm not his biggest fan, but I respect that quite a bit. Let's go ahead and take an early break, 232-1542. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about redistricting here in the state of Louisiana, what we're seeing, the reports we're hearing come out of Baton Rouge right now, and what we can continue to expect. All that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 965 KPL. I know, I know I wanted to talk about redistricting, but there is another story I wanted to, to mention briefly. This is Joe Cunningham on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 965 KPL. If you want to join in the conversation, 232-1542. Uh, join me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. And like always, if you want to catch any part of the show that you might have missed or any previous episode of the show, check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. So there is a bill in the Florida legislature, a House bill, and it would eliminate salaries for school board members. So if you're an elected school board member, it would eliminate salaries for that job. Now, the the idea is, you know, you want to find people who are motivated by the work, not motivated by the compensation or whatever. But the unintended side effect here, more often than not, the unintended side effect here would be that any person who is passionate about the public school system, who has kids in the public school system, who really wants to make a change, unable to afford to give up the time needed to be in that elected position. And wealthier people who have the time and, had, and don't have to worry about, you know, any extra source of income, it's, it becomes a very elitist spot. The reason you offer pay for political positions is to encourage more people to run for the job. You discourage good people from running 
if there's no sort of compensation for the work. I hope that Florida rejects this bill. I have a sneaking suspicion that the, the Republicans who control the Florida legislature are probably going to be for it. I don't think it's the right move, and I don't want to see this trend picking up elsewhere in the country because I really do think it does, in the long run, more harm. Because it doesn't matter, Republican or Democrat, if you have money, if you have the time, you don't need the compensation, you get wealthy activists, many of whom don't even have kids in the public school system and don't have any skin in the game for it. And you need that. You really do. 232-1542 if you want to join in the conversation. All right. In Baton Rouge, debate, discussions, negotiations underway with redistricting. Now let's separate the two issues here. The, the first issue is the House and Senate legislature. I've already told you guys what I, my theory as to what's going to happen, and I've heard from various folks who have been watching this, and this is probably going to be what happens. The issue of a third of the state's population being African American is going to force a redrawing of primarily Democratic districts. Republicans won't lose a whole lot. White Democrats will lose their seats, or their seats will be in jeopardy to black Democrats. As the black communities have grown and gotten more influence, and their portion of the voting base in these seats will be greater. You're going to see a lot of white Democrats challenged, if not in trouble, because of the redistricting in the House and the Senate. I think the Ronald Green story and the governor's involvement, by the way, uh, the two detectives who have been in charge of investigating the the death of Ronald Green actually met with the governor's top, uh, top attorney. Not Jeff Landry, but the in-office attorney so that's an interesting development i think i don't think it was part of the investigation i think it was just getting both sides on 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 the same ground here but that's an interesting development in that story but the ronald green story itself has sown a lot of distrust between edwards and the white democrats in the state the ones who have routinely held power in the democratic party and the black democrats in the state And I think the black Democrats are not going to really lose a whole lot of sleep if they work with Republicans in redrawing some of these districts to be more black Democrat districts than white Democrat districts. We'll see on that. The other big issue here is the congressional districts. This is the interesting fight. I'm not entirely sure that all of this media hype about a second majority minority district is actually going to play out. And here's why. Look at the districts we have now. If you look at the maps, the one Democratic district we have in the state of Louisiana belongs to Troy Carter of New Orleans. And that district, when you look at the overall map, takes a chunk out of districts one and six, and it kind of cuts across them. It's a, it's a weird, snaky type of shape. And part of that follows population distribution, but part of that does indeed follow racial distribution. The thing about drawing these maps is that race and political alignments are always going to be part of the discussion. It's how egregious either of those are that 
supposedly raises the controversy. But the fact of the matter is these districts are always going to be drawn weird because of population distribution in terms of party affiliation and in race. To make a district that's more equitable, I'm not saying blue, but I'm saying more equitable, if you want to be as fair as possible, you would probably look at something like Mike Johnson's district because that covers northwest Louisiana and the Shreveport area. That those, those areas do have a higher concentration of black citizens. You could make that a more purple district by shifting some things. You could also look at Garrett Graves' district, which covers the, the Baton Rouge area, and that could possibly become a little bit more purple depending on how you would shift Carter's district. But neither of those situations is really all that likely. And as much as the Democrats are making noise about it, truth be told, I really do think their focus is far more on the House and the Senate, the state legislature, than it is on the congressional districts. Because even if you say, well, Louisiana is one-third black now, the population distribution of those black votes is still kind of tricky. How do you do it? Do you try to draw something that goes up from St. Landry Parish into Alexandria and up north even a little bit more? You could possibly throw one in Sin Law like that if you wanted to, but that's still going to be as long and snaky as uh, Carter's district is. There are certain population distributions that you could make it work, but it's very tough without it looking like a very racially gerrymandered district. And I'm sorry, racial gerrymandering does work both ways. I think what you're probably going to see is a lot of talk on the congressional districts, but a lot of the work is going to go into the House and the Senate. Because that's the winnable battle. That's going to be the big, not so much fight, that's going to be the big victory for the Democrats. And ultimately... I think it's going to hurt the John Bell Edwards, the white Democrats of the state. They have to reckon with the fact now that while one-third of the entire state may be African-American voter, y'all, two-thirds of their voter base is African-American voter. And those black voters and those black politicians know that their time to be the face of the party is now to get rid of the power, the, the, the hold of power that the trial lawyers and the white Democrats have over the state and the, the, the big white money of the Democratic Party, frankly, has over Democratic state politics. So there will continue to be a lot of talk on the congressional districts. You won't see movement on it. There will be an agreement. A district's probably going to become a little bit more purple. Maybe there is a court fight over it. But the real negotiation here is over the House and the Senate. And that's going to be where those Democrats, the black Democrats, get their victory. Thank you guys very much. This is Joe Cunningham on the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965 KPL. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode. Be sure you find me on social media and check out the podcast uh, on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. I'll talk to you guys again in 23 hours.